Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Enthusiasm is a great word. It means uh, theos is God. It just means in God. Uh, So if you're enthusiastic about something in God, especially for the things of God, you're stepping into him and getting out of yourself. Self doesn't want to do anything enthusiastic, I'll be honest with you. It's like, I don't need to stand, sing, sit, do any of it, you know. Well, you don't. You don't have to do anything. You get to. And uh, you get to step into God. You don't got to. God doesn't force his hand. God's like a dove. The Holy Spirit comes gently. Uh, Rattle the dove. The dove goes away. Holy Spirit's not a dove, but he's like a dove. He's gentle. And he invites you. He doesn't force his way into your life. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. It's in Revelation. Written to believers, written to a church. It's whoever opens the door, I'll come in. And we'll have fellowship one with another. And friends, don't open the door. He's not coming in. He doesn't kick your door down. That's not the God that we serve. I'm always aware of God's presence. Uh, God's presence is here right now. In fact, uh, you can be anywhere at any time, and you can be aware of the presence of God on a bus, in the car, the shopping center, at the 7-Eleven. I always encourage myself to be aware of God's presence and also ask myself and ask God, what do you want to do right now? Because I'm not going to waste time. I'm not going to just spend time. Uh, I want to invest the time that God has given me into somebody's life, into a situation that needs changing. And all around us, there are situations, mainly called people. People have situations. Anybody notice? We all have them. And it's good when God steps into the situation because he's invited to change that situation out of something that's not God, as in it's not peaceful, It's not full of joy. It's not full of grace. It doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit to take it out of that realm into something that is God's realm so that as Jesus taught the disciples to pray, when they said, teach us how to pray, they saw the correlation between his prayer life and the miracles and the result that he got. They put two and two together, probably had a little chat amongst themselves, and they said, in essence, to him, teach us how to pray. They didn't say, do this or do that, or uh, teach us how to work miracles. Teach us how to pray. And so he taught them, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you know, the Lord's Prayer. And, And one of the greatest parts of that prayer, it's all great, is your will be done on earth. How? as it is in heaven. So whenever I'm in doubt about the will of God here on earth on whether I should or shouldn't do anything, I simply have to ask that one question. What's, what's the Father's will in heaven? Because that's his will here. There's incredible worship going on in heaven. I know that because I read my Bible. Uh, incredible. Some of the songs we sang reflect that truth. Therefore, what's God's will for us here? Worship. (laughs) Incredible worship. 
Uh, the only thing that we can't do in heaven, many of you know it, you're not going to lead anybody to the Lord when you get to heaven. Uh, there's just nobody there to lead to the Lord. He's, we do that here. And it's our job. God doesn't do it for us. God won't bring people to church. He might put on somebody's heart to go to church, but we're the bringers, not God. doesn't cause the angels, generally speaking, to do that job. Today I want to talk about something that is very familiar, and sometimes familiarity is our worst enemy. Have you ever noticed that? That you get familiar with a scripture, a, a Bible account of something, you can get familiar in a marriage with your spouse. It's dangerous ground. You can get familiar with church, so familiar that you don't get anything new out of it because familiarity tends to desensitize us and cause almost like a callus uh, on our heart towards people and marriage relationships, church certainly, and towards scriptures that we've read maybe hundreds of times. I always approach it, though, with a fresh attitude to say to God, show me something new, and God's never failed me on that. Because his word is living, it's, it's a living, breathing word that's sharper than a two-edged sword, even to the dividing between soul and spirit, the word of God says. Uh, I can't divide between often soul and spirit, but his word does. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Isn't that amazing? And uh, we're going to go over to uh, Matthew chapter 14 in a moment and read something that for most of us that have been uh, following Jesus for a long time, it's very, very familiar. But I'm going to ask you to step out of familiarity and into letting God show you something with fresh eyes. He did that for me when I was looking at this a couple weeks ago. I asked him, I prayed over this, I said, God, show me something. I felt led to go to this particular account, and he showed me something. And I believe that today's word is germane to the season that we're in right now, which is the, the silly season, they call it Christmas. It's the end of the year. Some of us have had very busy, stressful years, and uh, others maybe not so much, but I know uh, that many are in the club called Man, I'm, I'm just I'm so glad that this year is coming to an end. It's been really hard for some people. And uh, if you're in that club, you're in the right place this morning. This is not the time, however, to quit. It's not the time to give up. It's not the time to run away. Some of us have started things during the year that we haven't finished. They're still left undone. And we think, well, what's the point? I'll just give up on that project. I'll give up on what I started there. And I'm here, here this morning to say, don't give up. There is hope. There is something that is going to be uh, life breathing to you this morning that I believe is going to breathe something fresh in you to help you finish the year the way that the year deserves to be finished and start the next year the way that next year deserves to be finished. So no matter what you're going through, no matter how tired you are right now, no matter uh, whether you've hit a wall uh, or perhaps, you know, you're sailing really good this morning. I don't know. I hope so. But if not, it's okay. You're not going to give up. In Matthew chapter 14, we find a group of people called the disciples. 
And Judas is still part of that, so there's 12 of them. And they have had a good day, but a bad day. There's been some incredible things that have happened in their day, but there's also been a tension, a trial in the day. And it kicked off with, in, in Matthew 14, it really kicks off talking about John the Baptist. John was a relative of Jesus. You might remember uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, and Elizabeth uh, were relatives. And of course, that makes uh, John a, a half-relative, if you will, because Jesus' father is God. But they're relatives, and they're also partners in ministry. They have a, a kindred spirit. They're probably the closest uh, friendship that Jesus had would have been, certainly would have been, John would have been up there. John was the baptizer. It's where we, why we call him John the Baptist. He baptized people in the wilderness. He prepared the way for Jesus to come. Jesus shows up. He says, I'm not even worthy to un untie your sandals. Uh, Jesus said, do it. Baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. And John was very outspoken, and he, he did something. He criticized Herod. King Herod was kind of like a, a despot. He was a, a dictator, if you will, not technically, but he had that arrogance, that attitude. He had power of life and death to kill somebody, and it's kind of a drunken party, and Herodias, that's uh, uh, the daughter of Herodias, rather, who was uh, his brother's wife. John said, you can't have her, man. That's, you, you're not supposed to do that, and of course, that was not good news. And the daughter said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. That was the request. And so he was beheaded. And the disciples took the body. They buried it. Jesus gets the news. He's caught. You would be caught. He goes to a place that's remote to get away from it all. Have you ever been there? I don't want to be around people. I'm going through grief. I'm going through uh, something that I need to work through with my father, and he, he goes to this remote place. And the crowds hear about it. Now, you got to remember that the crowds at this time were large. In fact, the crowd that's described here, the men alone were 5,000, let alone women and children. Uh, you throw in at least double that, probably way more because women tend to show up to things in mass that men don't. <laughs> That's just the way it is. I've been to and done some large crusades of like 20,000 people in Pakistan and uh, large, largely women. And I would picture a crowd of 10 to upwards of 20, 30,000 people. But these aren't people sitting there quietly just listening. They're desperate people. They couldn't go to the local doctor, the emergency room. They couldn't just get, you know, some antibiotics or something like that. They're desperate mothers, fathers, people that have dire, dire needs, and they're thronging in on Jesus, and the, the disciples are probably doing some crowd control. And this is at a time where Jesus wanted to get away from it all. But then it says something. It says he was moved with compassion and he healed their sick. Something about God that he's never too busy for you. You're busy during this season, 
You're at the end of your route, some of you. You've hit a wall. You don't want people around you, perhaps, at certain times, but God is moved with compassion, and he heals their sick, and he teaches them, and they get hungry, and the disciples say, should we send them away to get something, some food, uh, you know, down at the local shop or something? It's like, no, you feed them. All, all we have is five loaves and two fishes, and of course, they turn that five loaves and those two fishes into enough bread and enough fish to feed a multitude with baskets left over. That's a, a full-on miracle. At the end of that miracle, Jesus says to them, you guys go ahead of me. And he goes up, dismisses the crowd, and then he does something I think that's pretty amazing. He goes up on the mountain to pray. It shows you that his dependency is in his relationship with his father, and he's modeling that for you and me. He's never too tired or too at the end of his wits to pray. So he goes up and does that, and the disciples are rowing very, very hard because a tempest has come up on the Sea of Galilee. I've been there. It's not huge, but it's big enough for a big storm to come up. And they're rowing hard. And it says, at dawn, before dawn had broken. In other words, it's still nighttime. They've had this incredibly stressful, eventful day. And now, all night, they've been rowing. And they're not across the lake. And we pick it up there in Matthew chapter 14. He said to his disciples, Shortly before dawn, so it's dark, Jesus went out to them, verse 25, walking on the lake. And when his disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I could not even imagine how horrifying that would be with wind and waves and blocked visibility, and it's still dark out. Looking across and seeing this figure coming toward the boat, but not recognizing that it's him. The, the, the horrific reality that there's a spirit of some kind, there's some kind of a, a being that can walk on water coming towards us, and they don't know that it's him, and they're, they're horrified looking at, at the, the, the image of this being, and they, and they think it's a ghost. Now, what happens here is we're just going to get into this a little bit here, uh, I think is just amazing. But most of us, in fact, myself included, until I really started looking at this with fresh eyes, like I said, fresh eyes, let God do something fresh, miss some of the most important parts of this account. They were horrified to ghost. Take courage, Jesus says. It's I. Do not be afraid. Whenever God shows up, fear has to go. 
One of, one of the greatest statements that God says over and over again is, be of great courage, fear not, do not fear, however you want to phrase it. He's not the God that brings fear into our lives. He is the God of courage that in the face of things that would frighten anybody, he says, take this thing called courage, take it. You have to reach out and grab courage. Courage is something you need to take a hold of. We're not talking about that so much this morning, but verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Notice what Peter doesn't say here. Lord, if it's you, keep walking to the boat. Lord, if it's you, stay right where you are. Turn the boat around, guys. We're going to go rescue Jesus. What he doesn't say is do a miracle, God, to prove that it's you, God. Jesus is already doing a miracle. It's the first account of anybody walking on water that I know of, and nobody's really done it since. <laughs> it's a pretty amazing miracle. Jesus has told them, it's I. But what Peter does here is something that's so amazing that if we get a hold of this, I think it will revolutionize some of our ideas on how God answers prayer and how God moves in our life. He doesn't say, if it's you, then, then keep on walking and come to the boat and we'll all be good. And they all stay in the boat, but Peter does something here. He says, if it's you, you ask me to come, not you come. If it's you, ask me to come. Bid me to do a miracle. You're already doing a miracle, God. You're God. But my miracle isn't, and my faith isn't to get you to perform another miracle. I want you to empower me to be the miracle. I want you to empower me to do what I can't do unless you empower me. So ask me to do that, and then I am going to perform something that I cannot do on my own without you, God. When this hit me, it really sunk in because so many of us are begging and asking and crying out for God to do something all the time without our involvement. God's modus operandi, the way that he operates, is not that. God rarely does something for us that he can do through us. God rarely ever operates that way. You stretch out your hand, Moses. Stretch it out. Divide the waters. You stretch out your hand to heal. Mark chapter 16, toward the end there. These signs will follow those who believe. What, what signs? They pick up a snake, it won't hurt them. Paul did that on, on Malta. They drink any deadly thing, any poison, they're not going to die from it. I've, I've heard of missionaries that have stood on that. That scripture right there. They'll speak in new tongues. It's amazing, isn't it? 
And they will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. God is waiting for you to stretch out your hand so that he can do through you, not for you. I look at, as a parent, many of you are parents here, and wouldn't it be awful if your child, I mean, talking about, if, you know, your child is normal, um, healthy, and all the rest of it, if your child hits 30, 40 years old, comes up to you, mommy, mommy, mommy. Like what? Make my bed, feed me. Some of you like that, I know. You want your kids to stay little. Uh, but I'd be disappointed if my child turned into a man and still behaved like a child. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. Paul says I behave like a child. But when I become a man, I put away childish things. God, God so much wants us to grow up. And I'm so glad that God invites us. He invites you to do the stuff, to be, to be a partner. These, these things shall you do, Jesus says, and, and greater things than, than what I've done because I go to the Father. I want you to do the stuff. There's no parent that doesn't want the child to grow up and do whatever the, the, the parent is doing in, in most areas of life. God is love. But I don't want you to be in love. I don't want you to exhibit the love that love on the inside of you has, so I'm just going to keep you a little bit lower down here so you're not quite as loving as I am. No, no. God wants you to be everything because he's everything in you. You're not God. Don't get me wrong on that one. I'm not saying that at all. But you've got God on the inside of you. It's New Testament theology, so grab a hold of it. They all stay in the boat. But Peter asked Jesus, do something. Do something to verify that you're not a ghost. Not do another miracle to prove that you're God. And so what he does here, he asks him to do something only God can empower him to do. If this is you, Jesus, Ask me to do something I could not do if you were not here. Matthew 14, verse 29. Come, he said. Just one word. Peter got down out of the boat. I love that. Like the boat's higher than the water. Peter climbs out. He's the only one that does it. He walked on water. He came toward Jesus. And when he saw the wind... I find that fascinating because you can't actually see wind. <laughs> Some translations of this combine wind and waves. When he saw the wind and the waves, you can see the result of wind blowing on trees or waves or somebody's hair, but you don't actually see the wind. You might see some particles and dust flying through the wind. You can see a tornado, but the wind that's powering the tornado, you don't actually see that. But he saw the wind. He was afraid. Beginning to sink, and I want you to see this. Uh, I want you to see how succinct and how quickly this is transforming, unfolding. Beginning to sink, not sank. Beginning to sink, 
cried out, Lord, save me immediately. Beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me immediately. Do you see, this was not a whole time frame that transpired here. This was, if you ever caught something that was going to fall maybe off the counter, I do this all the time, I'll have a coffee cup, pour a cup of coffee, it's on the counter in the kitchen, and I'll turn around to do something else, my hand's still in the coffee cup. <laughs> it's like I'm so focused on doing that that I forget about this. And sometimes the this could be an empty coffee cup or something, and, and it, it goes to fly, but my reflexes, which are still lightning fast, I'll turn around very quickly and catch it. It's like nobody's there to witness the event. There's no cameras. You can't, you know, do slow motion replay with any of it. It was like, but I pat myself on the back and I tell myself, you're amazing, man. Occasionally, though, I miss. Coffee cup ends up on the tile floor. And I have to answer to Gail when, I get, when she gets home. There's one less coffee cup in the set. It used to be a set. It's no longer a set. It's an individual item, what's left over. <laughs> Beginning to sink, cried out, save me. Three words, Lord, save me. How long does it take to cry out, Lord, save me? I don't think it's a second. Immediately, Jesus reached out. His hand and caught him. And then he says this, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now that in itself probably isn't grabbing you right now, and you're thinking, okay, now he's going to go into the part where he tells us how to get more faith to walk on water. No, I'm not going there. You're, you're wrong. I know what you're thinking. But this is the part that really grabbed me, and I hope it grabs you as well. Where are they when this conversation is going on? They're not back in the boat. They're still some distance from the boat. They have not made the journey back to the boat. Do you understand this? How far away from the boat are they? I don't know. It doesn't say. It could be a meter. It could be five. could be longer. There's some distance still from the boat. And Jesus is asking him a question. <laughs> Where's your faith? Having a conversation while they're still <laughs> walking on water. Peter didn't sink. He began to sink, but he didn't sink. Jesus caught him immediately, which means he's still there. Now, this account finishes up back in the boat. They end up back in the boat, verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I think Peter would probably go, What about me, guys? Did you see? Like, he wasn't the only one that did it, you know? Like, I know he's the Son of God. I'm, I'm not going to take the glory. But, you know, at least you could say, Wow. That was amazing, Pete. <laughs> but uh, again, there's no instant replay. 
when you catch that cop. There's three options that I could come up with. Perhaps you're smarter than me, and you could come up with a few others. I don't know. But to go from the, the place where the question and the conversation is going on back to the boat, because they end up in the boat, they either swam to the boat, or the boat came to them, or they walked back. It's kind of one of those. I don't know. If there's, maybe there's another option. They flew or something. I don't know. My summation, my conclusion is they walked back together. Peter walked out by himself. He walked on water. We know that. We often make fun of Peter, but then the preacher will often say, yeah, but, you know, he walked on water. You haven't. But he didn't sink. I believe he walked back on water with Jesus. The only other option, and I don't believe that this was what happened, is Jesus carried him back to the boat. But I don't believe that happened. I believe that Pete walked back to the boat with Jesus, got in the boat with Jesus from wherever he was. Now, my encouragement to you, and we're going to fly here, but my encouragement to you during this silly season is don't quit. Don't give up. Peter looked at the wind, which is contrary. And you can look at the wind and the circumstances and your tiredness, your physical condition, perhaps your mental condition. You can regard the wind. You can regard the waves. You can regard all the stuff that's going on in the world, which are wave after wave crashing in with bad news on the economy and the world state and leaders and elections and, you know, your own family members and your own personal health and your finances. It gets overwhelming but it wasn't the wind around Peter that we really need to notice right now, but it's the wind that began to blow in Peter. I started running again recently. Uh, after many years, I took quite a, few, quite a few years off, had a knee operation, and so I'd test my knee. I'd see if I could run without pain and and recently, it's like, hey, you know, this is good. If I do the right stretching, I can actually run again. So I started running again, and I found that I had to, I'd lost my gait. If you know, if you're a runner, you know what I'm talking about. It was uh, muscle memory. I thought I'm going to persevere through this. So I started running. At first, I couldn't run very far. I'd, I'd puff out at maybe five minutes. <laughs> it wasn't much. Uh, last year at this time, my son and I tried to run together. I said, let's go for a run. And it was five minutes. I said, you keep going. <laughs> but I'd forgotten about something. And I persevered because I remembered that when I used to run, there is a space that if you keep on running, you'll hit this space. And runners know, they call it your second wind. It's a place where you're out of breath. You don't think you could go any further. But if you keep pushing, you hit your second wind. And if you can get to your second wind, oh, it's amazing. Now when I run, I know there's a big white house. I know if I can get to that white house, 
That's the point where my second wind kicks in every time. So I struggle with it. I'm like, hey, I'm going to die. Everything in me is saying, quit, give up, walk and pray. Just walk and pray. Talk to God. It's really important right now. Just give up. Don't push in. But I look at that White House and I go, I know what's going to happen when I keep running and I get to that White House. Something called my second wind is going to kick in. It's like a supercharge. It's like the pain's going to go. Breathing becomes easy. It's like a huge injection of oxygen floods my system. From that point on, I could keep running all day. It's the second wind. Peter found a second wind to walk back to the boat. That second wind is available to you right now. His name is Holy Spirit. He's not wind, but he's like a wind. The Greek language pneuma means wind. It's where we get pneumatic tools, air-driven tools. It's like that wind. If I can find it on the day of Pentecost, they're all together in one accord. It came a sound from heaven as, as of a what? As of a mighty rushing wind that filled the house where they were all seated. Isn't that amazing? God wants you to catch his wind, which is on the inside of you. Catch your second wind. Immediately when you feel like sinking, the hand of God is there. He reaches out. You're not going to go down. Take courage. Get your second wind. You'll keep going through the end of this year. You can have the best ending of any year you've ever had this year if you don't quit, if you get your second wind. But you've got to keep going. They climbed into the boat. The best proof of God's presence in your life is him calling you to more than you could ever do alone. It's not him performing a miracle. It's him saying to you, you come. You walk on water. If you can get to me, We'll meet, and you'll walk back. What are you asking God to do through you, not just for you? Oh, man, I, I know, this is challenging. God, do it. God, do it for me. God. What are you asking God to do through you, not just for you? It's a big question, isn't it? Instead of asking God to do something about your situation, why not ask God to empower you to do something about your situation? <laughs> That's as New Testament as it gets. Ask God to do something through you, not for you. Jesus didn't ask any of them to step out of the boat. Peter asked Jesus, if it's you, ask me. Come. Come. Big difference between those two, where you're waiting for God to do something for you, and God's waiting for you to ask for Him to ask you. He's waiting for you to ask Him to say, Come. The many, uh, many of you are sinking. The many of you, the reason that you're sinking is you're focused on God doing something for you instead of God doing something through you. And then when you sink, you blame God, you come up with 50 million excuses on why prayer and faith and everything else doesn't work. If 
forgetting that God's actually waiting for you to ask him that you could do it. See, once you've walked on water, and I'm talking metaphorically now, you don't fear drowning ever again. I don't imagine Peter feared drowning because later on he sees Jesus cooking some fish on the seashore. He's got his overcoat on, uh, off, rather. He puts his overcoat on and jumps into the water. I believe fully expecting to walk to Jesus. Big difference. Jesus didn't say come in that situation. Peter took the initiative and sank. <laughs> These things shall you do and greater things. I'm going to close with Acts chapter 5, verse 12. There are so many scriptures that we could look at in this whole area, but I'm here just to challenge us enough without going, reading the whole Bible. But Acts chapter 5, and through the hands of the apostles, through the what? Through the hand of God, as they prayed there, sat on their backside and said, God, do something. No. Through the hands of the apostles, many, those are sent ones. Many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord, Solomon's porch. I want to encourage all of us as we approach this Christmas season to get our second wind I know you're weary, and, but I'm going to ask you, would you dare to ask God to empower you to do something only God could empower you to do? I want you to uh, close your eyes, if you wouldn't mind, while, while I close my eyes, so that you can just get intimate with God and get real, so you're not looking at your neighbor and the pastor or whoever. Would you just get intimate with God right now and let this question start, but let it continue to resonate in you even throughout the whole day and further until you get an answer. Would you dare to ask God to empower you to do something that only God could empower you to do? In other words, I, I can't do this one of my own strength. This is beyond me. Only God can save. I can't. You can't. Your effort can't. He was good enough to come to you because you'll never be good enough to come to him. So he's called Savior. But not just eternal life Savior, but Savior in so many ways. And he wants to empower all of us to do what we can't do without him indwelling us and to only do what we can't unless he is in us. So with every head bowed with that question, if you have an answer to that, then start to walk, start to stretch out your hands, start to move and let him move through you into that situation, perhaps where you have to forgive somebody that's done something really bad. I can't do it. You're right, you can't, but him in you can. Don't limit yourself to what you can't do. Open yourself to what he can do through you. Do you understand that? Open up your eyes of faith, your mouth of faith, your whole life 
Let it be open to what God wants to do through you, not without you. Perhaps you're here and you know that there's somebody sick and you haven't prayed for them. You've prayed, God, do something, prayers. God's saying, no, go and visit, anoint them with oil, as it says in James chapter 5 at the end. Go and anoint them with oil. Put your hand on them. Let the prayer of faith save the sick. A lot depends on their initiative, if they're going to ask for that or not. Some of you want a financial miracle, but you're, you don't sow. You're not planting seeds, so you're not going to get a harvest. Or there's no forest that's going to grow up with fruit-bearing trees if you're not sowing anything. What would, what would God empower you to do? Some aren't, you, you're not using your gifts. God's given you at least one amazing gift probably more but you're waiting to be served instead of serving God wants you to do what he wants to empower you to do while your heads are bowed and eyes closed I'm going to pray for those that don't know Jesus you might be watching online but you might be here right now I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can really easy to get saved you just ask him and you just it's an exchange you give him your heart he takes away your sin he exchanged that on the cross that's why we celebrate Calvary and the cross God is so good so if you want to pray this prayer with me right now goes the same pretty well every week, but it's not a formula. I can try to make it different, but what's the point? <laughs> Say this with me. Say, dear God, I thank you for saving me by sending your son into my life. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I give you my heart. You are the Lord of my life from this day forward. Amen.